Space Witch. Space Witch. 32 Thoughts, the podcast, is brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. Elliot, overreact. That's what we do early in the season. Today's podcast is going to focus mainly on two teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, but up first, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, a tough we week. could talk about Edmonton. Yes. We could talk about Florida. Yes. We could talk about San Jose. But what's the fun in talking about teams that are actually doing well? <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about teams that have gone careening over the cliff, it seems. Uh, we'll start with Toronto. Tough week for Toronto. We'll see what happens this week coming up. Uh, last week, it was three games and three losses. Uh, overtime loss against the Rangers. Shot, score, Panarin from the right circle off the faceoff. Rangers win 2-1. to one. Five to three loss against the San Jose Sharks. And Couture joining us live in Toronto. And Logan, outside of the cocoon of your dressing room and the organization, there's not a lot of people in the hockey world that think you're going to contend this year. Here you are 4-0, and oh, and you beat a team that a lot of people think are a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and I know it's early in the year. It's only four games, but uh, you have to be proud of what you guys have accomplished so far. Yeah, man, I haven't had fun like this in a long time, so uh, it's it's a lot of fun with this group. We've got a lot of guys that are trying to earn their opportunity to play in the NHL, and they're great people first and foremost, and the new guys we brought in are also great people. I think that dressing room's as good as it's been in a long time, so we want to play for each other. We want to win for each other, and it shows on the ice. And then Saturday night, a 7-1 drubbing against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who didn't have you-know-who in the lineup. That story is well told. Ahead of Monday's game against the Carolina Hurricanes, from uh, as best you can ascertain, where are the Maple Leafs at? Well, this is going to be a big one tonight, too, because you know that Freddie Anderson is going to have $11 billion on the board. Yes. The way it ended between him and the Maple Leafs last year with him on the bench when they hoped that he would be the guy that would lead them in the playoffs, you know that Rod Brindamore is going to have the Hurricanes riled up to play that game. For Freddie Anderson. Whether it's before the pregame skate or before puck drop, he's going to be going in front of every player's face and saying, do you know how much it means to that guy tonight and pointing at Anderson? Do you think Carolina has a website ready if they win? (laughs) I would say it's quite possible. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, You know, they're going to be riled up to play this game. Like the thing is, is that we should have seen it on Saturday night. We were focusing on Pittsburgh having 32 million uh, missing from their roster. And I was kind of kicking myself. Pittsburgh had three days off mm-hmm. between their game against Dallas where they lost in a shootout and the game against Toronto. And I was thinking about their opener and the post game interview that Brian Boyle did with Emily Kaplan, where he said that we had a game plan for this and our coach had us ready to go. And I think we should have seen, knowing the commitment that Pittsburgh has to playing the way they play, that Sullivan was going to have that team prepared for Toronto. I just don't think we saw that. And that's the difference between the two teams right now, to be perfectly honest, is that Mike Sullivan has such a firm grasp of his group right now that he can walk in there with three days off and say, we don't have 87, we don't have 71, we don't have Carter, we don't have Latang, we don't have Rust, but here's how we're going to win. 
And every single player on that roster is going to say, I believe it because the proof is in what they've done. If Mike Sullivan says, this is the way we're going to win, they're going to believe it. And for whatever reason right now, Toronto doesn't have that same buy-in with their coach. And the moment that game got away from them, there was nobody who was going to be able to stop that train on Saturday night from going right off the tracks. You know, it may be just too simple to look at an old hockey cliche or a sports cliche that will defeat skill. Um, but that was a case on Saturday. The Pittsburgh Penguins just flat out outworking the Toronto Maple Leafs. Every puck battle, every race, uh, all of it, all those things that you always say, well, this, these are the things that the coaches like. This is what the coaches want. Yeah. The Penguins did all of that. The Maple Leafs did none of it. I wonder how much of that is a reflection of the players not feeling perhaps like the coach has their back coming off comments that Sheldon Keefe made after the San Jose loss. I think there's a bigger question here. Okay, so let's do the whole coaching situation first, okay? Yep. The more I've thought about it, the more I've wondered if the Amazon situation really hurt Toronto. In what sense? Well, you know, here's the way I kind of see it. So there's a podcast out right now, and it's called Double Coverage. And it's uh, Devin and Jason McCourty, who used to play for the Patriots. And they had Martellus Bennett, a former teammate of theirs, uh, on the podcast this week. And on it, Bennett lambastes Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, he just destroys him. And then enjoying what the guys are doing and what's all... I'm with you 100. percent I mean, we, we won the first year there. We won a Super Bowl. Like it, bro, it doesn't get any better than that, bro. We lost two games. One of them was because Jimmy Garoppolo was being a and didn't and try to quit, he quit before us on the last. Decided not to play right before the game, so we went out there. Jacob Jacoby came out and played with a thumb and gave his played his heart out. But Jimmy was just being a about it all, and he's still being it. Like that's why he you can't win with a or quarterback. First of all, so like. That was the whole thing with him. He didn't want to come out and like do anything because his agent was trying to protect his body or some shit like that, which I can't fault him for that. But like, should have made that decision on Thursday. Now on Sunday, you know what I'm saying? And it's the kind of stuff that if it was said in a dressing room, you wouldn't want it out there. And it's like hard knocks. They have stuff that's said in the dressing room and they put it out there. And I look at this whole Amazon thing and the more I'm thinking about it, like we talked about what Craig Simpson said. Yeah. About the Marner meeting before game seven. And he talked about, for those of you who didn't hear it when we talked about it, he said that in 2006, just before game seven between Edmonton and Carolina for the Stanley Cup, he had a player that told him he was had no confidence. And Simmer went to find every piece of tape he could find of that player doing great things to build him up for that game. And he couldn't even imagine the idea of that appearing on camera anywhere. And for all the things we're talking about, hockey having to accept the fact that we're all much more in the limelight right now. And it's it, it, like secrets are going away in the social media world. You look at, you know, what's happening at Facebook. There are few secrets anymore. Everything is going out there. And I think in places like football, there's a bit more understanding of that. And in basketball, you know, this Ben Simmons stuff is playing out in public. And I think people are just like, you know, that's the NBA. It's very dramatic. 
And I still think hockey as a sport has a much tougher time coming to grips with this stuff. And like, for example, there's a team in the NFL on hard knocks every year. And in hockey, the Leafs are in Amazon, but I don't know that you would be able to find, you know, 10 straight years of teams that would be willing to do it. And we can all have this argument about whether or not it's right or it's wrong. I'm not debating that right now. What I'm debating is I think that the kinds of things that come out in that affect a hockey team more than other sports. Now, anyone listening to this podcast can tell me if they think I'm wrong. They could say I'm full of it. They can say that's an awful take. Fine. But that's my take and that's my opinion. I have wondered ever since then if just the fact that some of that stuff, there's a hangover for it. The Marner meeting before game seven. I'm looking at him now, okay? Mm -hmm. And Jeff, you tell me if you think I'm wrong. The most basic, simple plays... He can't make them right now. He looks like he right now is as frozen as the rest of the team was in those final games against the Montreal Canadiens. I think they worked really hard this summer to say to him, stop listening to things. I think they tried everything they could do to try to insulate him from everything that's go- that goes on. And I think everybody knows that rightly or wrongly, the fans have targeted him, and he's the guy. Like, every team has, for Toronto, it was Brian McCabe for a long time. Well, it was always defenseman. Yeah. That's the one thing about Troy, they would always find a defenseman. It was Larry Murphy. It was Brian McCabe. Oh, keep going. It was Aki Berg. It was Corey Cross. Like, keep going. Yeah, that's fair. I couldn't remember a whole bunch of names. It was Jake Gardner got a lot of that. Jake Gardner, yeah. And, you know, some of that obviously was because, unfortunately, Gardner had some really rough game seven moments but Marner is that guy right now and he can't get out of it and I really do wonder I keep thinking about what Craig said about that ending up in the public realm and you're sitting there and you're thinking okay like the fans are all over me and this kind of gets put out there. Like I haven't stopped thinking since this season started and I've seen Marner really struggling because he can't make plays that he can make in his sleep. Jeff, I'm just wondering if this is all part of it. You think it's a confidence thing for Marner? Like the same skilled player is still there. I always remembered. Remember when the Canadians did their own one and yeah. they had that one meeting where Subban got embarrassed? Yep. Only Subban can answer this. But I remember Ron looking at that and saying, oh, that's that's not good. And maybe it's a hockey thing. I just think that the sanctity of the dressing room and hockey, of all the sports I've ever covered, and I've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of them, I think the, the sanctity of the dressing room and hockey has always been considered greater than the other team sports. In baseball, like reporters are all around the clubhouse. The NBA and the reason people love it is it's a total free-for-all. I haven't done as much football, but I could see that being close to hockey. I know people who didn't like what happened to VC. Now, that was on the ice. It wasn't in the room, but it was still a conversation that was supposed to be a very hard conversation between coach and player. And I'm looking at this and... I can't help but think that this sport still has trouble. Like, 
You remember the great Road to the Winter Classics, Boudreaux? Well, the first one was the best one. That, that was the one that gathered everyone's attention. But it, it damaged Boudreaux, right? Absolutely it did. And the Philly one, I thought, really damaged Brzgalov. A lot of people thought it was funny. And I know because people told me this, they felt it hurt his credibility inside the organization. Mm-hmm. As much as I love this stuff, I still think the sport isn't able to deal with it. Here's what I think about it. I think that the genie is out of the bottle for this stuff. Mm-hmm. that we're going to get more like this. This is what the audience wants now. Um, this is at some level what the audience expects now. The next generation of fans, to your previous point, expects a sports universe. Well, no, they expect the universe mm-hmm. to be secret free. Yeah, They want access to all of it. They want to know what goes on behind that door, behind that curtain, behind everything. Like I hear that Montreal wants to do the next one of these things, right? Mm -hmm. There'll be other teams that will want to do it. I do wonder at the same time if teams might have cause for pause considering what's happened to the Maple Leafs early on this season after this thing has come out. Mm -hmm. But I think this is, honestly, Fridge, I think this is a growing pain. That, And I'm with you, like that sanctity of of the dressing room has always been a big deal in hockey. But I think those walls are coming down. It's made people feel uncomfortable in the game. It's made players, it's made coaches, it's made general managers, team presidents, whatever, uncomfortable. But we're headed that way anyway. Like, you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, but you know what? The thing is, I'm not arguing with you on this, Jeff. I'm talking purely about the consequences now. Oh, I don't think that there's any doubt. That's all I'm saying. I don't think I agree any- with you. The genie is out of the bottle and everyone's going to have to put up with this. Like, what do we know that Nylander... Him and his agents fought to have something taken out. Yeah. They took the Hyman stuff out because he left, right? Yeah. And I do believe that was over no move clause, that that's the reason Hyman's not in Toronto anymore, um, that the Maple Leafs weren't willing to do it. So all of a sudden, it becomes even more focused on the head coach, right? So we've got to put more stuff in, and he's the guy that's not standing in the way of stuff that you know can be out here. And I'm just talking about in the here and now, I look at what's happening early in the season and I can't help but wonder if that series and what came out of it, there's a hangover on the team. I don't disagree with that. I don't think that you put something out there in the sports space and and that won't have any effects with the team. I think that's got to be an obvious one. Like when you do this, like if you're Brendan Shanahan or Kyle Dubas, I think it'd be folly to think that this won't affect your team in some way. I think you go into this knowing that there is going to be some effect. You just cross your fingers and hope that it's not going to be detrimental to your squad. So far, if we want to draw this relationship between the Amazon piece and the Maple Leafs start, so far it's been horrible for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, now, I could just be reaching for reasons. Uh, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of things. I think Maple Leafs players have gone... Have, now, Muzzin's hurting. Muzzin's hurting. Uh, Hall has not played. He, he yeah. had, he's, he's struggled this season. Matthews was out for a week. Yeah. But to me, the, the biggest early season concern is Marner. And is this just a slump? Like, to me, a slump is when, you know, maybe you have one or two bad games or you're doing a lot of the things you normally do right, but it's just not going. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some of Marner's shots. Like he's not getting close to the net. And two, 
Marner, he's so good. He's uh, like, I don't care what anybody says. He's a phenomenal player. And if everything is even, he should 100% be on the Canadian Olympic team. Like plays that he can make, which are more comfortable to him mm-hmm. than 99% of the world, he can't make them right now. And to me, that's the biggest thing is, is it going to snap out of it and it's just something going wrong? Or is there a, a really serious big problem here? I look at tonight's game, if you're listening to this on Monday at some point, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, questions have been answered. But if you listen to this on Monday, I think this Carolina game is going to tell you a lot about how this team feels, maybe how this team feels about its coach, maybe how good this team is, how much this team cares. If you don't have an effort against Carolina on Monday, yeah. After getting skated into the ground by that version of the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada, where all the eyeballs are on you, then I think if you're Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, you got to look at this and say, okay, we got a real problem here. I think the motivational speech is if we lose this game, there might be a nasty tweet against us. <laughs> from Carolina? <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I kid. But when things are going really badly for a team, you get crazy text messages and calls, right? Of course. So our game crew had a great pack late in the game that went from Dubas to Keith to just the looks of disbelief on the bench and the fans, right? Mm-hmm. The Toronto fans who made the trip to Pittsburgh, because that always happens. And, you know, someone said to me, Dubas looks like he's watching the game by himself. Like, who's watching the games with Dubas? And I don't think that was true. I don't think he was alone. But then people start asking questions like, how often does Dubas watch the game with Shanahan? Like, one GM said to me that one of the things that he really appreciated was there was a time when he was really struggling and the president of the team came and sat next to him at a game. And he's like, what are you doing here? He goes, I must be really in trouble if you're showing up. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. I just think it's like you're not in any trouble, he said to him. But I think it's really important that people see us together. And I remember a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with a coach who said that his GM used to come down at the end of every game and just talk to him for a couple of minutes. I think that's pretty normal. But he knew he was in trouble when the GM stopped coming down after games. And he actually said that he told the GM when he was fired, I didn't appreciate you doing that. That's the only thing about this that bothers me was that I felt you abandoned me. So like people in the game, like they look at this kind of thing and they think about this kind of thing. And so, for example, like when they don't see Shanahan and Dubas at games a lot, Hmm. oh, they start to say, well, this is what's going on here. And who knows, Shanahan might be superstitious and he watches every game from a different place. But people look for that kind of thing. And it might mean nothing, but that's the way people start to think when these kinds of things go on. So there's all kind. you see this played out on Twitter and you get all the texts and I get all the texts and everybody gets the texts and we hear the conversations and sports talk radio on Monday is going to be fueled by a conversation of who takes the blame here? Yeah. Who needs to be on the hook? And for every time I hear the discussion about Kyle Dubas, 
I always ask one question, Elliot, and everybody has a different number. I wonder what yours is. Okay. How many coaches should a general manager have before you make a decision on that coach? I don't know if I buy that is the answer because like there's guys in this league who get two coaches and like there's GMs in this league who've had five, right? That's what I'm, but I, what I'm saying is generally. I don't, I don't, to me, that's not a reason to make a change. Oh, well, they have, they've only had two coaches, don't have enough. I don't like that. You don't like that at all? No, e- even, I don't. Even, even though general managers in this industry get more than one coach. No, I don't. Dubas has had one. Well, the thing is, too, is that, you know, Dubas extended Keefe this year. He did. So you could make an argument that that means he's got another hire because he could have let him go, right? He chose to extend him. Every time you extend a coach, that counts as another coach? Well, I think it shows that you believe you're endorsing that person, right? Yeah. But again, I, I think this argument is, uh, it's like, ah, like, like, I'm not... But that's the conversation. Yeah. Like it, it, and, and, it, and it plays itself out. And we keep having the same conversation online specifically about all the contracts and what they should have done and who should be here and who shouldn't and who's the real problem and which contract is the albatross. And it's it, the whole thing is tired. But the question that I wonder about now is as we look at this, this season where we believe there will be major consequences unless something different happens. Are we at the point now where decisions have to be made? To me, like your previous theory about the coaches, that was terrible. No, no, that's a good take. That's a good no, take. That was not worth the Mensa Society. No, that was that was a good take. Was a good this take. is much more worth the Mensa Society. This is a better take. You got rid of the first terrible take. Now you've got the good take. <laughs> See, this is the way I look at it, Jeff. I really thought, like you, that they had the year to sort this out. And now I'm not sure. I don't think it's happening yet, but I, I think there's a chance that if this doesn't work soon, then they go out there and they say, we have to make some decisions that maybe we didn't want to make so quickly, or we have to look at things a lot quicker than we initially planned to. And this ties into Chicago too. So Chicago lost again on Sunday night, and they announced that they're sellout streak is over yeah toronto the ticket sales have been soft or at least softer than they're used to now the thing about toronto is even though they gave fans an opportunity to to opt out for this year they still charged a lot of money for those who stayed in and i think there's a lot of factors Uh, i think you know people who have unvaccinated kids for example i do think there's a malaise around the team that the the way they lost last year really hurt them in the community. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I also wonder if people are just like, you know what? I got used to not going to games. I'm I'm not really in a mood to go back. Like I think all of this is possible and I don't want to discount any reason over another. But what it makes me wonder, Jeff, is are teams going to sit here and say for financial reasons to sell tickets, we can't be as patient. Hmm. Like, and I think about this even more in Chicago than I do in Toronto. Are people looking at this and saying, if we don't do something, what are our buildings going to look like? And I don't know the answer to that, but I know it could be a factor. Well, we've talked a lot about Chicago this season. And now 
You mentioned they lose again. They lose to the Detroit Red Wings. Short side wide of the goal. Rebound out the center. And this game is over. Mark Stahl picks up the puck, and I would imagine he's going to give that to Lucas Raymond, who had the three-goal hat trick for the Red Wings, leading the way offensively. Great effort by Detroit. It's now another game. And Mark Lazarus tweeted this out. Uh, there's there are six games in. 360 minutes and 57 seconds without holding a lead. They haven't led this year. Yeah. I don't even know what to say about that. Like, that sounds near impossible. That's an NHL record, I believe. I was watching the uh, Detroit call, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, and they referenced it halfway through the game that six games is an NHL record. I don't know what to do with that. Like, that sounds like near impossible to pull off. You know, Jeff, what did we say about the Blackhawks at our beginning of the season preview podcast? No idea what they would be. No idea. No idea what I took. But I didn't expect this. No leads in the first six games. Not a chance. Not a chance did I expect this. I didn't think they were a Stanley Cup contender, but I didn't think this. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are here, Jeff. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm saying... Like, to me, there's no way that the Blackhawks want to make changes. When, you know, we said this on Friday, when when they're telling people that they want to ride it out, I believe they want to ride it out. But this is something we also said on Friday. Remember Brian Burke saying when the fire Ron Wilson chance came up, that's when he decided he had he to had make to the it. move. Yeah. And now there's fire Culton chance coming out. Like, in Chicago right now, I look at this as, it's not about what the team want or the organization wants to do, but I think it's what the fans could force them into doing. And, you know, the, the other thing I kind of wonder here is, so Culleton got an extension that goes through this year and next. And I think he's, my guess is, this is a guess, I guess he's around one and a half a year. Stan Bowman, we reported, I think it was at the 2019 draft that he had an extension, and the Blackhawks confirmed it a year later. And I don't know how many more years it's got on it, but it, it, I think it has something. So now you're coming out of a pandemic, your attendance is soft. How much money do you want to eat? If you go out and you're looking at Mike Babcock or Claude Julian or John Tortorella, you know, it's going to cost you mm-hmm. unless those guys are willing to take a lot less than they're used to getting. That's a big ticket. I'm not convinced Chicago's going to want to do that. The obvious one is you could just say, okay, Mark Crawford takes over, although he's in COVID protocol COVID right now. now yeah. I mean, that's my big thing right now, Jeff, is what do these teams want to do? Are they worried more about attendance or are they looking at there and saying, you know, say for argument's sake, to clean everybody out, they have to eat, let's say, $5 million. What means more to these teams right now? I think they're looking more so at fan apathy and what that's going to mean to their bottom line, not this season, but in subsequent seasons. Getting people back. Like, I always wonder about what message are you sending the marketplace? Because if you don't do anything and the dreadful season continues... What's your message? Your message is we're fine with this. Or you can say we'll deal with this in the summer, in the off season. 
There needs to be some indication. That's why interims keep popping up. Yeah. Right? We need to do something. We recognize the problem where we recognize the issue. We're going to address this properly in the off season with a search. But right now, our message to the marketplace is this needs to change. We know it needs to change. You know it needs to change. Stick with us. We're going to make this change properly. I mean, how many, what did we just talk about the last podcast? The worst thing in sports isn't fans not buying tickets. It's buying tickets, but not going. You made that point. It was a good point. That's death. You know, Rick Tockett sitting in the TNT studio. Yeah, let's discuss potentials here. Okay. Rick Talk. I mean, the, the ones that are out there, whether it's your, your Claude Julien's, your Mike Babcock's that you, that you already mentioned, John Tortorella. I've heard some of the biggest questions about some of those names is what those guys are used to making. How many teams are going to want to do that now? I don't know many for each. I haven't asked any one of them. I was just talking about this with someone. Like those names, Tortorella, Julian Babcock, they're used to making a certain number. What if teams say no? Are they willing to say, okay, I'll do it for much less? Like someone compared it to like an actor working for union scale, right? Mm -hmm. And we were kind of laughing about it. But like just the idea. But like, I don't know. I'm just putting the information that was out there. You know, Tockett is an interesting one. He's in the studio. He's visible. He had a chance to become the highest paid assistant coach in the league this year and work for Toronto. And ultimately, he decided not to do it. And so we'll see what appeals to him. You know, Ottawa has, you know, two guys who used to be head coaches, Dave Capuano and Davis Payne. They didn't want Capuano to interview last year. Yeah. So I don't know that Ottawa's letting anyone go in season. I don't think anyone's letting anyone go in season. Well, I'm going to give you another name, okay? Okay. Someone brought this up to me today, and the question is, like, how does everybody feel about this? And that's Jim Montgomery. Montgomery's on the bench right now with the St. Louis Blues. Yes, he is. There's some speculation. I've had people talk to me and have said that's the next head coach of the St. Louis Blues. I don't know that. I'm just saying that, you know, Jim Montgomery is someone who's worked hard to, you know, put his life back together. I've spoken to him about it before. You know, someone was just saying to me today, that's the kind of guy who probably doesn't cost you a ton of money and he's a good coach. But the most important thing is, though, is that, you know, he's in a good place. That's what I care about the most. Absolutely. The, the the one thing that I think that we forget about Jim Montgomery because of all the the personal issues that he's had to face and, and work through, that's a heck of a coach. Like there were teams, they, before Dallas got him, there were other teams. I believe the Rangers were one of them. Yeah, he interviewed in a few places. That were looking seriously at Jim Montgomery before they went with David Quinn. Outside of, and again, to your point, personal situation, the family situation is more important than being behind the bench of an NHL team. But let's not sleep on how good of a coach this guy is. Yeah. Like ask anyone, he'll, he'll coach in the NHL again. I just can't see St. Louis letting him go in season. We're talking out of our butts here. I don't want anyone to run with this and say that we're saying that these guys are going to be coaching candidates in Chicago. I, we're just, the bigger thing I'm talking about here is that the economics of the whole situation is, you know, Colton got extended for two years. He, I believe he's somewhere in the million and a half range. You know, how is Chicago going to feel about not paying that? 
while ticket sales are soft? Like, I don't know. Like, those are all the questions I have. I think these are all things that that are going to be discussed here. You know, obviously, we're still waiting for the results of the investigation. That still hangs over this, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they go to someone like Ed Olchek, who's got a lot of cachet with the fans and say, we need you to come in here and help rebuild this. Like, I'm just wondering what, what Chicago does. But they could do that now. Chicago could do that now in a position higher than Stan Bowman. Yes, they could if they wanted to. But again, now you're adding salaries, right? Like, I think the fans would be very happy with that. And I think he'd be a good hire. It just, again, like, that's the question I have is just the money issue. See, here's the thing about being a Blackhawks fan. Expectations were, you know, shot through the roof this summer mm-hmm. with all the signings, with all the new players that came in and the talk that this rebuild is done and we're headed back to the playoffs. Sure, we play in a competitive division, but this isn't the rebuilding Hawks. This is the rebuilt Hawks. And we got the Vesna Trophy winner in net and we got... You know, Seth Jones on the back end, and here's Jake McCabe. And like, they brought in a lot of players. And the expectation wasn't this at all. So you've chummed the marketplace and raised expectations. Now, what do you do? Uh-huh. You could have a start like this if you're selling rebuild and it's all hope, 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 hope. That wasn't what you were selling in the offseason when all these guys were getting signed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that if you're the Blackhawks organization, Fridge, don't you understand that this is going to be costly? Like your next move is going to cost a couple of dollars here because your marketplace is turning on you. I mean, I hate hearing coaches get booed. I hate hearing, uh, I, I get it, but I just- Life's hard it. enough. I don't like to see bad things happen to people. I, I'm with you on They this. know what's going on. They feel bad enough already. And you understand that fans are upset, but the Blackhawks know this. They understand sometimes you have to eat a salary and maybe pay more to keep your customers happy and keep them coming back and keep selling them on hope or wins. I think Chicago understands that. And I think Toronto understands that. Like we're not talking about small market teams here. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's tough all around, but these are high revenue teams. I do think you walk into a place where you have to do something. Inertia doesn't work. I think Chicago is probably there. Mm-hmm. The clock has started in Toronto much sooner than any of us expected. Like I think a lot of us thought, this was a playoff clock this year. Okay, what happens in the playoffs? Now it's a regular season clock. I wonder how much of that contributes to it being a tough ticket to sell in Toronto, that the playoff failures have almost made the regular season meaningless. I think there's that. Now, so, now people are saying to me, this is the worst that's ever been in Toronto. I don't know if I agree with that. I went through the, I went through the eighties for each. I was at the game, the eight, nothing playoff game to Detroit where jerseys got thrown on the ice. I, I was at that game when like Daniel Marawa playing like his first or second game ever was like, it was their best player and the fans went crazy. I, I remember that night, but you know what? We, everybody forgot. Oh, wait, timeout. The Islanders are in the intermission with Vegas and Gary Lawless is on. We must stop what we're doing. Pause. Okay, back to the podcast now, Fridge. 
Now that uh, Gary's finished talking about the players have won the Stanley Cup and the gold medal in the same season, and he's put all 23 members of the Golden Knights roster on various Olympic teams, <laughs> checking for birth certificates to see if like a great-great-grandfather qualifies someone for a country. I understand how angry were people were after the playoffs last year, but I also remember a few years ago when the team refused to salute the fans and what craziness that turned into. And I have to say, when they were throwing waffles on the ice at that time, yeah. that was the worst I ever saw in Toronto. Like those fans hated that team and that team hated those fans. I don't know if this is worse yet. It's not good, but that was the worst I ever saw. We haven't seen players lash out at fans yet. Like we haven't seen Mitch Marner fire back at fans. But he hears it, but he hasn't fired back. So I'm, I'm with you. It hasn't been that bad. And to the previous point, you and me both went through what the 80s were for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that wasn't just one night of one jersey hitting the ice. Like that happened more than once. Yeah, but the 80s, it might as well be before Christ for a lot of these people. <laughs> but let's not forget too, like making it even worse you know, at that point, the Maple Leafs played in a division where you made the playoffs with 60 points and the Maple Leafs couldn't even get there. <laughs> and four out of the five teams got in. <laughs> that Norris division. Oh, it was bad for a lot oh, of years. Okay, awful. let's win two rounds and have Edmonton kick the crap out of us. Okay, you know, you're, you're right. I agree with that. Let me throw another name that was whispered to me over the weekend of potentials that's out there. At what point does Jim Rutherford get back in the game? I think the question is, what's the role going to be? He'll be back in. For Rutherford, I don't know if it's a manager, like a general manager role or it's a team president role. And that's the other thing that's, I think, a factor here in this, Jeff. Like, we talk about money. How many teams are going to want to do that now? Well, the two that we're talking about have money. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, again, to the previous point, these aren't... But Toronto's already got a president. These aren't small market teams. Look, I, I don't think Toronto's there yet. I think if this goes on for another little bit, yeah. I mean, look out. But I don't think Toronto's there yet. Chicago, I, I really wonder. I, I really do. I really wonder how much it can go on without something happening. Now that we finished talking about Chicago, I, I feel, Jeff, you and I should mention Detroit. They got a couple of studs there. <sighs> One, two in rookie scoring. Raymond and Cider. Uh, I like Lucas Raymond, teenage hat trick. Steve Eiserman territory in Mark Detroit, Elliot. Fire the shot, he scores! Lucas Raymond with the hat trick. Here come the hats from the Red Wing fans. Flurry got a piece of it. It got in behind him. Uh, Mo Cider, we've talked about going back to the end of last season when it became obvious that he's going to come on over and join the Detroit Red Wings on a full-time basis. and He's mean. He's me. Well, you saw him hit like a truck last year, right? Yeah. He, and the thing is, like, I'm not going to say that he's the next Cronwall, but man, this guy hits hard and they love that in Detroit. And already you can make the argument that he's Detroit's best defenseman. You remember when Toronto first made the, we've talked a lot about Toronto in, in the podcast, but remember when Toronto first made the playoffs, that Washington series under this group of players? Yeah. And you thought, oh boy, like they have a fun kind of swagger and they're going to be great to watch for years. Look at this Kapanen kid. Woo, what a trade. Like, that's what I look when I see Cider and Raymond. 
Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Like, oh boy, like these guys are going to be fun to watch together for a long time. Yeah, and there's more players on the horizon for yeah. the Red Wings. There's still some pain, but there's more players. Like, what did we talk about last season? That, you know, Detroit, under, it became obvious. And, you know, we've seen, you know, they went out and got Sebastian Cosa, like they another huge netminder. That's one of the areas that they've targeted that, you know, is kind of dry in their pipeline. There's still going to be some years of pain here for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, but you see it now, right? Like, you see the cornerstones. You're starting to see it. Like, they've they've shoveled out the barn, and they're ready to show the horse. That's an old Brian Burke saying. Before you show the horse, you got to shovel out the barn. Now you're starting to see some of the horses coming out of the barn for the Detroit Red Wings. And good on them, man. Those are two real good players. Uh, I could be exciting for a long time. Okay, let's take a little pause on the podcast. Yep. When we come back, I uh, want to revisit a couple of things you talked about Saturday on Hockey Night, namely the uh, situation with Jack Eichel and also unvaccinated players uh, around the NHL. That's next. 32 Thoughts, the podcast continues. Welcome back to the podcast. In uh, non-Leaf and Blackhawk news around the NHL, um, Elliot, you reported on Saturday, we shouldn't be surprised if the Jack Eichel situation heads to a grievance. Any type of timeline here? Every It's funny, at the beginning of every week, I always say, okay, this is the week we're going to finally see some movement with Eichel. And then the week goes on and nothing happens. You know, I got one tweet this week. Enough with the Eichel. I love everything else about the podcast, <laughs> but please, enough with the Eichel. And, and look, I am sympathetic to this tweeter and this listener, and I thank you for your listening. It's just a new, it's a story, and that's it. You know me, I'm Captain Careful, right? I think it'll be sooner than two weeks. I just left it there to be safe. Mm-hmm. I think that there is an understanding here, and we've talked about this. He has to get a procedure done. And I do think that if we don't get it sorted out very soon, the grievance is coming and their case will be that there are doctors who say this is a legitimate plan and the CBA was never written right to say this prolongs you from a legitimate plan. The CBA was never designed to block to disallow players to have medically respected surgeries. That'll be an interesting one. Listen, nobody wants it to get there. <laughs> I don't think the NHL wants it to get there. Certainly the, the player doesn't want it to get there. Looks like we're getting there with vaccinated players with only one remaining. Elliot, what's happening? Mackenzie Blackwood. New Jersey plays its first game in uh, Winnipeg. In, that's their first game in Canada on December 3rd. I'm told that he he is on track to being eligible to play in that game, which means he's begun the process. He's, he's going to get vaccinated. I was told that on active rosters, there's now only one NHL player who does not vaccinated, and we know who that is. It's Tyler Bertuzzi. And um, we were doing the segment the other night. I was a very mixed emotions about even identifying Tyler Bertuzzi because, like, I didn't say his name. The font had it. And it's not like you can not pay any attention to it because it's a game on our air and he's not playing, right? Yeah. But the the thing I generally feel is that if you're going to try to humiliate somebody over a stance, it's not going to help the situation, right? And I know that the league and the players have felt that educating players on how safe it is and why it's okay to do it 
that's kind of been their strategy. And I think it's worked in a lot of places. I think also the peer pressure, as we've talked about, of of leaving your team without you. Like Bertuzzi's playing great. He's got nine points. And he had another big night as they won on Sunday. And without him on Saturday, they got blown out by the winless Canadians. If there isn't any better peer pressure, I don't know what it is. I had very mixed emotions about it because I don't think humiliating a person or coming across like you're trying to humiliate a person works. I really don't. No, they'll get their back up more. Yes. It'll cement their beliefs because people always gravitate towards where they are accepted and where they are loved yes. and where they are appreciated. Mm-hmm. And if you provide and if you demonstrate an environment where none of that is happening, good luck ever getting them to come over to that side. Yeah. People gravitate to love. It's a truism of all time. Generally, Jeff, I agree with that. Um, but he is the one unvaccinated player in the NHL right now. And one of the things that's led to is they have a meeting about the protocols, the League and the Players Association, November 1st. Mm -hmm. And there have been some false positives. And there are people who believe we don't need to test asymptomatic players, you know, who are vaccinated. And there are a number of people who felt that, who feel that way. You know, Frank Saravelli wrote about it this week the day before Friday, and I was like a little bit annoyed because I was working on the story. You know, the one thing I was told is that, and I heard it from some of the doctors, they're really against backing away on the protocols. They said, look, like there's going to be many outbreaks. We've seen a couple of them already. The last thing the league wants to do is cancel games. You know, the best way to prevent games from getting canceled is testing the way they're testing, which is three times a week. Now, the NFL only tests once a week. And the NBA doesn't test vaccinated players. Um, but the doctors are like, no, like if you want to protect the integrity of your season, that's it. And if you want to go to the Olympics, this is what you have to do. And then one of the doctors was laughing with me and he says, well, the NHL hates the Olympics. So they probably don't want them to test anymore. So we were, <laughs> he was, he was laughing about that, but yeah. you know, that's kind of where we are right now. So I don't expect the protocols to change. Yeah. I don't expect it to change either. I think there are probably some within the NHL that would like them to, I just can't see it. I think the NHL players association will be full on board with let's continue the uh, the testing as it is we understand the frustration from some players with uh with false positives and missing games and being out of the lineup etc but still if it's going to keep the season as it is and the schedule as it is and we'll still allow players to go to the olympics listen nothing's perfect in the world right now i think this is one the players just have to eat yes there are a couple things you brought up you brought up Price on Kravtsov? Uh, Price on Kravtsov is a top prospect. Snooped around last week for Saturday trying to figure out what Chris Drury... Well, one of the things we talked about is, you know, what is his management style? Like, what? And we know that he digs in his heels and he has on various American Hockey League players and we ran down uh, a list of some of those guys. Um, But it, it sounds very much like he's looking for a top prospect and he's not budging from that right now. And considering how well the Rangers are playing right now, thank you very much, Elliot... I don't see any reason for him to change. Although as of right now, obviously um, he's not getting what he wants. And Hayton. Barrett Hayton was a name that came up. You got the runaround on this one. You heard (laughs) one thing and you respond into something else. uh, Yeah. So I had heard a couple of things. Uh, I had heard originally that uh, from a couple of different teams that his name was out there. And one of the things I had heard was that he had requested a trade. 
So checked with his agent. No, he hasn't requested a trade. Although his name has been brought up a number of times, specifically in the past couple of weeks. Like he didn't make the Arizona Coyotes out of camp. There were some injury issues there at camp. Uh, starting the season in, in AHL Tucson. And we all know the Barrett Hayton story. Fifth overall draft pick 2018. Um, was a captain of uh, Team Canada at the World Juniors in, in 2020. Skilled player. It just hasn't been able to click. Uh, his development, and I've been on record from this from day one, I think the way the uh, Arizona Coyotes handled him was all wrong. I thought that they shouldn't have rushed him. Should have gone back to play junior hockey. Sure, let him have the, the World Junior Hockey Championship experience, uh, but don't rush him into the NHL. Barrett Hayden isn't the first one the Coyotes have rushed in and then had misgivings about. And I think this new regime... Uh, with Arizona realizes that uh, that this player was was rushed and his development was probably hurt because of it, and they want to be sensitive about it. But his name is out there. But as of right now, I'm told by someone in Arizona, they are not initiating the conversation about Barrett Hayton. Other teams are thinking perhaps uh, that the Arizona Coyotes have given up on this player. Like he wasn't drafted by this regime. He wasn't drafted by this management group. Maybe you can steal a player. Uh, not so. The one, like, they like him there, I'm told. And the one person who really likes him, and I just referenced the World Junior Hockey Championships, is Andre Tournier, uh, who named him captain uh, at that uh, World Junior Hockey Championships for Team Canada. So he's got Tournier on his side. Tournier likes him. Uh, the organization is still uh, interested in developing him and, and getting him into the NHL on a full-time basis. But... Uh, he has been part of conversations so far. Curious about your thoughts on the uh, the late game on Saturday. The uh, Seattle Kraken and the Vancouver Canucks, specifically the debut of the Climate Pledge Arena, the carbon neutral rink. First of all, Thatcher Demko, 20 years for grand larceny. Yeah, no kidding. He was fantastic. He was, he was excellent. Second of all, I'm still annoyed we weren't there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. As I was watching that game, I was doing like a slow burn. Like I want to be there. We should be here. <laughs> um, thirdly, I, I thought they put on a great show. Um, I know people made fun of their banner, the thirty-two thing, but it's a very Seattle thing. Like you know, in nineteen eighty-four, they did it for the Seahawks, the the twelfth man, right? You know, some things fit in the market, and I think that fits in the market. But people told me the arena is spectacular. The crowd was really into it. A Nirvana goal song, you know, absolutely fits. You know what? I'm really curious to see what they're going to do on Tuesday night because I think you really hit on something. <laughs> and I agree with you, Jeff. I think a Stanley Cup banner is going up for 1917. I, I really do think they're going to do it. Yeah, I think they should. Like it, as much as I was making this point with you and Ron on, on the uh, on the desk on Saturday, as much as this is a, a forward-thinking organization, I was talking to Jason Botterill about this on the the Jeff Merrick radio show uh, starring Jeff Merrick on Friday about this organization not only realizing but also respecting the deep history of hockey in Seattle, which goes back to, you know, the Pacific Coast League. I mean, that 1917 team, you know, had one of, for my money, the greatest thinkers of the game that the game has ever seen in Lester Patrick. Like there is a rich history of hockey in Seattle. And I, I know that as much as they, this is a look forward team, I know they respect that and want to do things with their history. And they're big on being the first, right? Hey, first you know, carbon neutral arena, you know, anything about Seattle, they're going to rush to be the first to do a lot of things. And the first expansion team to raise the Stanley cup banner 
just kind of fits what they want to do, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, you and I talked about this on Saturday. Do they go as far as, you know, have the Stanley Cup in the house and that game, you know, this is the first time, you know, Seattle and Montreal have played since 1919. Yep. Is this game going to settle the 1919 Stanley Cup? You should go with that, Jeff. <laughs> You should declare the winner 1919 Stanley Cup champions. Do a cup presentation at the end of the game. <laughs> it's, it's goofy things your brain gets to in uh, in hockey history. Your brain gets to. Don't say the, anyone else's. I'm not else the else's. only one that's thought no. about this one. No, please. No, You're no, the no, only no, person no. who thinks that the winner of that game should get <laughs> yeah. the 1919 Stanley Cup. One thing I want to mention, the volume in that building when Vince Dunn scored that goal. Dunn shoots. That was like that was like a pro wrestling pop. Like when Jericho first showed up on Raw in Chicago, like the place comes unglued. That was like that. That was a great sound. That was such a fantastic sound. That's one of the things I'll take away from that one. Okay, let's get in a couple of questions here. Uh here we go. So I got I got one for you because I, I got the answer. This is an easy one. Yeah. Uh this is from Braden in the Vancouver Seattle game, which we we're just referencing. Uh Yanni Gord was not having it with JT Miller's face-off style. Yeah, he was really going on at, at Miller for how he was conducting himself with the dot. Um thoughts on this one. Uh yes, uh if you watch JT Miller at that face-off on his forehand, he wouldn't set his feet and he kept spinning i mean it's not so subtle <laughs> like you're trying to win a draw but that's what was driving gord crazy was uh, him not getting set and then spinning in anticipation of the uh, of the drop so that's a that's an easy one to knock down and thank you for the question anthony in columbia missouri this one's uh for you fridge although we may get a discussion out of this one as a blues fan i'd like to see tarasenko stay in st louis man right now he's looking good and if I were trying to repair the relationship, I would elevate him to be co-captain with Ryan O'Reilly. Has an NHL team ever done that? And would it work for the Blues? You know, I was told by someone there, first of all, that he was a little bit miffed he didn't get the captaincy to begin with. That's true. It, that's been admitted. Okay, here's here's the, the other part. Has an NHL team ever done that? And would it work for the Blues? Didn't Vancouver do this with giving the seat to Luongo when they wanted to extend him? Do I have my timeline right there? Sure. It was right around the time where an extension was coming up for Luongo, and it was a demonstration that he's their guy. And NHL said, "No, no, no, you can't do that." That's not bad. Your your timeline is right. He got the captaincy two thousand eight, and he signs extension in two thousand and nine. Still got it, Fridge. Like the thing is, I don't even think you consider doing that in a place like St. Louis, unless you know for sure that Tarasenko's like no more trade demand. I'm happy to be here. Mm -hmm. like that's the only way you even consider it and you know right now they're winning they're off to a great start the team looks rejuvenated that can cure all ills so maybe that does happen but i don't think you can do that if you're the blues unless you know he's committed long term co-captains we have seen them before when the calgary flames won the stanley cup in 89 they had tri-captains tim hunter lanny mcdonald and jim poplinski and what was the one you guys found recently? It was Carolina, right? Jordan Stahl and Justin Falk. Mm -hmm. So it happens, uh, I guess, periodically. And I can think of one Stanley Cup team where I found it. 
But I don't think you're doing that with Tarasenko unless you know for sure that it's like, okay, I felt this way last year. I don't feel that way anymore. Listen, thanks so much for the emails. Uh, we'll answer more in subsequent editions here of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Thanks so much for sending them in, 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. Uh, there's a lot, and keep them coming. Love reading them, love answering them yes, as well. Yes, thanks a lot. And yes, we are going to do, I've had a couple of uh, tweets about this recently. When are you going to do another Word Association podcast? That's got to come eventually, right, Fridge? There's a couple interview pods I want to set up, yeah. but I'm not doing the next two Wednesdays. So maybe it's time. Oh, okay. Okay, you know what? We're committing to it. Send your Word Associations into the email address. Not this week, but next week. Okay. So you've got a, a week to get your word associations in. Okay. So here's how this game is played. Just so everyone knows. Send in, I don't know how many was it? Six. Eight, nine, six. Ten, six. six. Send in six hockey. So that way we can do more of them. Yeah. If we do 10, we're going to, we're not going to, we're going to do two of them. Like it'll, it'll be that long. Send in six hockey names. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have to be players. Just six hockey names that all have a theme attached to them. The deal is I ask Elliot for stories on all of these people or things, maybe even events, and he's got to figure out what the theme is. Not only provide a story, but try to loop it all together. And this is where yellow laces came from because one of the themes was all the oh. players use yellow laces. And that's where that came from. Yellow laces is my is wire hangers. This is why you hear this reference every now and then on the podcast. For those now, of you that are second. new Hold to on, it. Though. Merrick, we're making a deal right here, okay? What's up? You can't look at the emails. This is the way it's going to work. Amal, you're going to host that podcast. Ah. Only you can look at the emails. Okay. And if I can't get them, Merrick can try. Okay, let's do it. I love it. So shut off his access to the emails because I know he'll cheat because he's unethical. <laughs> but only you can look at the emails and you're going to host that podcast. It's not cheating. It's creative winning. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, look forward to that. Uh, taking us out, a four-piece band from Otapodi. Marlins Dreaming was formed through a close friendship whose love of music challenged their sound. The band dropped their debut album, Lizard Tears, great name, in 2017. And front to back, it's a marvelous record. They've toured across New Zealand and Australia, selling out shows, and then later would take their act abroad. From their latest record, Hasten, that was released the first of this month, Here's Marlon's Dreaming with Showman on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I don't want to be the one to let you go on your own. Again before I